Hello, everybody. Today is April 9th, which means tomorrow I am celebrating my one-year anniversary with this podcast. So exciting. I have started to write a blog about it, about the journey and everything that's come along with it. So um, I will be publishing that tomorrow and also recording it at some point in the near future. But of course, I want to thank you here first for sticking around, for listening and being supportive over the last year. It has really meant so much to me. And I probably can't find enough words to express my gratitude to you. So thank you. And just know that um, I really feel in my heart how much I'm grateful for you being here. I also want to let you all know that that I'm starting another live round of the Finally Conquer Goals online workshop starting April 23rd. I previously called it a course, but it, it's more of a workshop in nature, so I'm kind of changing the wording around that. And I was delighted this weekend to catch up with some of the previous people who've taken the workshop, who were talking to me about changes that they've already made that sparked from the workshop experience that they had, and that makes me so excited. Of course, if you decide to take the workshop, you are already manifesting a little bit of what you want by taking that step and willing to go deeper into the body and see what's holding you back. So I'm going to attach the link in the podcast notes um, that will take you to the, the page that explains more details about the workshop. And there's a video preview, and you can actually preview a couple of parts of the course if you scroll down a little bit. And then there's also testimonials there so you can hear from other people who have taken the workshop and what their experiences have been. Anyway, today I'm talking to Katie Hendricks, who has been a board-certified dance movement therapist since 1975. Um, You may have heard of her. She does her work internationally with her husband, Gay Hendricks, and she is a best-selling author of the book Conscious Living. They have written many books together. They host many programs online and in person about body intelligence and conscious loving. And Katie has been on over 500 radio and TV programs and traveled all over the world to spread the work that she and her husband Gay are doing. And I am so honored to have her on this podcast and loved the conversation that we have, um, including juicy, detailed examples of her work. This is Mind Your Body, a dance movement therapy perspective on the integration of our emotional, cognitive, physical, and spiritual aspects of our being into one more aware and whole existence. My name is Kathleen Hendricks. I've been a dance movement therapist since 1975, and uh, I have a doctorate in transpersonal psychology. Uh, My work is really about embodied presence and assisting people to feel alive, enjoy being alive, and use their body wisdom to create relationships that are thriving and uh, a life path that's really fulfilling for them. Mm-hmm. Did you coin the term body intelligence? 
Uh, yes, I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm not sure that we made that up, but we've been bringing that front and center for about the last five years. And also, my husband and I are mostly known for our relationship work, and we've written many relationship books, including Conscious Loving and then Conscious Loving Ever After. But the thing that I want everybody to know about our work is that it's really experientially based. It's really about direct experience rather than talking to yourself about what you're experiencing. It's really about creating uh, a new kind of relationship with yourself and with others. And uh, so all of our books have uh, activities in them that people can do. And we have lots of videos on the internet and various places. So uh, we're, we're pretty committed to having uh, life be really based on presencing, connecting and collaborating rather than the kind of fear and adrenaline that it's based on right now can for you, so many. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can you explain some of the core concepts behind what that means, living a conscious, uh, collaborative life? Well, if when most people are caught in a in a what I call a fear trance that they don't they're not even aware that they're inside of fear and we've been living in such a fear mongering kind of culture for quite a while now you know 16 17 years that I think people don't realize that they're living in a accelerated uh, escalation of adrenaline uh, the stress of of being sort of on guard all the time. And uh, what what that does is keep us from feeling directly in contact. So when we're in fear, we're not using all of our brains. We're basically back in reptilian brain. And then the big problem is that other people become the enemy. So if I'm in fear, just like Sophocles said a couple thousand years ago, he said, when you're scared, everything rustles. So if I'm scared, the world looks scary, you look scary, but what's worse is that you then become the enemy. And then I feel disconnected. And we're in what I consider a real epidemic of disconnection right now. And so as people are actually being able to turn loving attention or even curious attention toward themselves instead of the critical attention that most people do. It's really, you know, if I say notice something about your body, almost everybody looks for what's wrong. And so instead of a what's wrong with me, and I'm always going to have to be improving myself to have an attitude of being able to give yourself curious attention, just like you would with a close friend. And then from that kind of being able to witness and presence yourself, you can then begin to follow what we in the movement world call authentic impulse, creating yourself from the inside out rather than reactively from the outside in, which is what our culture does, especially to women, is, you know, all of the different ways that you're supposed to be and you're supposed to act and you're supposed to hold yourself in your posture and how you dress and how you move and how what you say and, you know, just every aspect of life. Instead, you get to author yourself. You get to find out what is it, who am I and how do I want to express myself in the world and particularly what is it that I love to do that when I'm doing it, time just disappears. And for me, that's always been 
uh, really two things I love to read, and I could read all day long. And so I, I've become a writer. Um, but also, um, I love to engage with people and see what happens with our combined energy and our combined consciousness. And so to me, that's really our future, because if we stay where we are, we're in what we call um, the drama triangle, mm-hmm. that we're either moving from villain to victim to hero, and that never changes. So if I try to help somebody, then I'm just doing hero, and if I you know, treat somebody as if they're uh, a victim, that keeps them in the, I can't really take care of myself, and if I push on somebody or I get in a fight with them, then, you know, off we go again. So I think that that our our future can be recognizing that we are actually making up all of these games that humans engage in, you know, even the drama triangle and the way that we organize ourselves and our various rituals, those are all made up. And right now they're made up so that it's only fun for a few and not so much fun for the rest. And I think with body wisdom and body intelligence, we can open up to the the power of connecting, the power of presencing another person and being able to combine our energy to co-create rather than to continue the cycles that we've been in. Yeah. What are some of the things that you do with your clients um i don't know what you call them um the people that you work with what are some of the things i've for many many years since i've been in the field for you know close to 50 years now i most of my work now is what i would call train the trainers and so i work with people who want to use body intelligence and the power of movement and the power of their own presence to be able to accelerate, like to be able to accelerate social change, to be able to, to accelerate the, the engagement of more and more people in creating a world that, that works for everybody. And in those moments of, um, from the very beginning, I do my best to bring people to what they are experiencing rather than what they're thinking about because our thinking is really, you know, like the car and your consciousness is the fuel. And if you run out of fuel, you not only can't run your car, but you can't run it to where you want it to go. And I think that our fuel comes from our our presence and our deep engagement with our inner life, but our inner life is expressed in the world by how we move. And so I often will have people do something I call bodifying. I'll take a concept like commitment, which is a very important concept that we work with in relationship. And I'll have, I usually will work in a big group that's got people who want to learn how to use our roadmap because we've developed a roadmap of how to have a thriving relationship throughout life. And so we teach people how to use those tools and how to customize them to their own lives. But one of the ways we do that is very simple by modifying. And so I've taken commitment and turned it into a process where people can actually experience what is it to commit. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? And what do I feel when I'm doing that? And how do other people appear to me? And it also makes a lot of fun because you can explore and learn new things while having a good time. Because so many of us have learning something new, especially about relationship, that it's going to be hard work, that I'm going to have to give up something, I'm going to have to compromise. And to find out that you can learn and have fun at the same time, that's pretty extraordinary. And I find people really, really like that. And I also will do something, you know, I've I've probably, I have hundreds of processes that I've invented over the years, but I've condensed it all now into what I call bodifying. Mm-hmm. So I'll have people come in and I might even start a, a seminar by saying, okay, I know you all got here because here you are, but I'd like you to take the next minute and just bodify how you got here. And so I set the timer and everybody, everybody just knows what to do. So when I say bodify, everybody just does it and they immediately have fun with it. They immediately drop into creating. They're creating rather than trying to get all of their experience into into words which so often just don't you know they can't really hold uh, all of our energy i think it was isadora duncan who said you know if i could talk about it i wouldn't need to dance it <laughs> so there are some things that are just beyond you know our ability to put them into you know into our language but our language of movement and breathing and connection is just infinitely creative yeah, yeah, I find there's also a lot more fluidity, potential for fluidity that can happen in movement versus words. Yes, and I, you know, as you're saying that, it was reminding me too that we know so well too how to trigger the people who are close to us, mm-hmm. and it may even be unconscious, but we know just the tonality or just the word to to use that gets them. And so, very often, I also will have people drop out words. Uh, especially if I'm working with partners or people who have been in relationship, not even necessarily romantic, but uh, work partners, for example, or a team, I have them drop out the words or I have them try on roles. And so we, we add the element actually of a lot of play in our work. And in fact, I teach a course right now I call the play imperative because I think it's the only thing that's going to be more interesting than adrenaline. Because if we don't find something that's juicier than adrenaline, we're going to keep escalating adrenaline. And the end point of adrenaline is always war, war of one kind or another. And uh, so we we can leave that cycle if we can, you know, find something that's juicier. And so I think more people are afraid of being authentic and actually being seen than they are afraid of um you know, of abuse and of uh, having conflict because they're they're actually afraid to be real. Mm-hmm. And so I think part of what we're up to is letting people know that the biggest gift that they can give to themselves and to the world is to be real. And that when and being real and being authentic is also the only place where there's any safety. Mm-hmm. What do you find is a common fear with that? Like, is it fear of exposure or fear of finding out something that of the unknown really fear of the unknown that they might find something that's even worse than the abuse or something else well i think that uh, i think you put your finger on a couple of the biggest fears that people are afraid that there's something fundamentally wrong with them 
I'd say at the bottom of the, you know, all of the thousands and thousands of people that I've worked with is this secret fear that if you really knew me, you would find out that there's something fundamentally wrong with me. So I'm basically unlovable. I say that's the core fear that people have. And then the the bigger fear is that, you know, every time I want to create something new, I step into the unknown. And so it is, I think, a bigger fear about, oh, you know, stepping into the unknown, even if it's something that I want. The And that's why I put such a focus on fear. That's been one of my major um, experiments and explorations over the last few years is how people can free themselves from fear and turn fear into flow. And I do that with a series of movements I call fear melters. And I'm turning that into a program now so that people can then, when they have moved from fear into flow, they don't just sit there. They're able to let flow move them into the more resourcefulness, more sense of confidence about being able to make new changes or uh, enjoy themselves more or connect more deeply. So, um, And that's very exciting to have a, a new template for how we can do life on the planet. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about what the fear melter looks like? Well, there um most in fact on um on one of the news stations the other day, I think it was MSNBC, I the host was talking to somebody about the culture of fear that we're living in and he named three of the four fears which I was really happy to see, most people don't realize they're familiar with fight or flight, but they don't realize there's also freeze and faint. And so what I do is a two-part sequence. Um, I also have an animation on YouTube that's called Fear Melters. It's Fear Melters Animation. So if you just go to YouTube and type that in, it will pop up, and it's a six-minute animation that describes everything that I'm going into in more, in more detail about what happens to your physiology and your relationships when you're in fear and then free of fear poses the possibility of, you know, what's, what can we do if we're free of fear? So I have people actually take on the body position of fight because most people don't realize when they're in fear, they think that they're angry and most of what people consider anger, I really have seen is actually fight. It's the fight fear response. And then the fear melter for fight is what we call oozing. And it is imagining that you're like seaweed in water or like hot fudge over ice cream that you let your, especially across your shoulders and arms, down your arms, you let yourself ooze. And when you're oozing, you can't fight. So it gives you that shift, that physiological shift, that your body gets a break like, oh, oh, flow. I can feel connection with myself. I'm feeling alive. I notice the colors more. Oh, I see you. Oh, you don't look so scary. <laughs> so the, that's what happens when we're free of fear. And then flee is very, very popular. People, you know, go out the door. It's a, you know, I'm out of here move. But they also can flee by just being polite and sort of glazing over. Uh, people also flee by fleeing up and getting intellectual rather than being present in their experience and in their connection. They flee up and go, well, why are you feeling like that? And what's the problem? And you know, the, the old guys, they never used to feel that way. 
So they, they go up, but also people flee forward into, well, what if, you know, what if I go home and I try this out and my husband doesn't like it? And that's what we call a flee forward. So the, the, uh, fear melter for fleeing is what I call sumo. So if you just imagine the sumos and you let your, you actually let your legs get wide and you get down into feeling your your weight shift from one hip to the other, one foot to the other, there's a kind of a mountain feeling of here I am, I'm solid. And when people are in sumo, they're not going anywhere. So yeah. that really gives them a sense of, okay, oh, I'm located, here I am. Uh, and then freeze, freeze, I think is probably more familiar to people than any of the others. Because people are, know when they get startled, there's a loud noise or somebody's really angry and they go, <gasps> And they just freeze up. And what people often do is say, well, just relax. There's nothing to be scared about, which <laughs> makes help. you just want to kind of smack them. So uh, what I do for what I've noticed with freeze is that uh, even though I'm frozen, I can still wiggle my fingers and toes. And so that's what I have people do is just to start wiggling pleasantly their fingers and toes and then let the wiggling spread until they're wiggling, wiggling, wiggling all over. And then that not only shifts them out of fear, but it moves some of that freeze energy out of them so that they, the, the end point is that they get resourceful. And then the last one, faint, uh, which for most people, they don't faint outright, but they might get confused or they might feel like their energy just drains out of them and they just kind of blah, feel that they can't do anything. So what, or they can get confused. Like if you drop, you know, can't, can't think of the word, you just kind of get, you know, your brain stops. That's almost always a faint. And so what I have people do is what I call love scoops is I have them imagine a pool of love out and I, in front of them and I have them scoop it up and actually put it anywhere that they're feeling that faint. So scoop it up and bring it into their heart or scoop it up and bring it into their tummy or over their shoulders. And so when people learn how to practice the fear melters, especially proactively, not waiting until they're scared, mm -hmm. they go ahead and practice them. They get really skilled at recognizing when they're in fear. And just by recognizing that and making a shift you actually move out of being reactive and you get to become creative and resourceful. Mm -hmm. And that's something I think people can grow. And it, um, it can help people in all kinds of situations, whether it's personal or, um, you know, in business or in their spiritual life. It, when you move out of fear, uh, then, then everything else becomes possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you take it any further than that? Like, does that turn into the play that you were talking about before? Absolutely. In fact, I build it up. So there's a little, uh, first I work with people with fear melters because that's the big block. But then there are other, other ones that come up. Um, how can we best present? So I have what I call fear melters plus. So fear melters plus taking a few relaxed breaths. So you put those two together. You don't just do fear melters and then ta-da, you know, <laughs> I ride. You do fear melters and then maybe move around the room. I have something I've developed called essence pace, how to find your pace of moving through the world where you can be in touch with yourself 
but also aware of other people. And there's something quite magical about essence paste. So I'll put fear melters together with essence paste, or I'll put fear melters together with uh, what we call a persona interview, because I might find that I have a fear, uh, a, a persona, a way of dealing with the world that I've organized in order to protect me from my fear. And it might be a, like a super responsible person or a total flake. And so we have a whole persona interview that we've devised and it allows people basically to befriend and include all of their experience, that nothing has to be controlled or made wrong or excluded that we can engage and play with all of the different aspects of ourselves. Yeah, I think that's so important too. And that seems to work towards fearing less of the unknown within the, the self. Like, yes, there's a and, part. And then that's where all of the, you know, all of the great stuff is because if I'm seeing something chronically out there, it's almost always a reflection of something that I haven't quite turned toward and engaged with inside myself, like a perfectionist or. Um, you know, a, a fear of not ever getting connected or that, you know, some of our very basic fears that, you know, nobody is going to uh, be able to engage with me or you know, like I'm not ever going to find anybody or I'm not going to ever find the work that I want to do or just a very basically I'm not going to be able to take care of myself. Yeah. Well, it's hard to know sometimes how to take care of yourself if you're not aware of what you need. If you're not aware of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So at, at the root of it, um, the, the year that Gay and I got together in 1980, he wrote the book Learning to Love Yourself. And, and my sense is that, that truly the, the map, no matter how we cycle around, that it really comes back to what here needs to be loved, what is asking for my attention because I, I think that that back then for most of us, there was something that we couldn't be with. And uh, whether that was because, like in my family, my mother was always incredibly competitive with me. And so I, I had to be kind of invisible in order not to compete with her. So I couldn't really turn toward and expand out into my own full self until I really looked at my, my fear of being annihilated. So those, those places, um, I think, come up along the way if we're putting attention on what is it that I, that I most love to do and that also feeds me, gives me a new kind of fuel other than the fuel of adrenaline and blaming and criticizing. Like, for example, I'm incredibly fed by beauty. And um, particularly, I love, you know, I happen to live in an area of the country where we can grow all year round. And so my, you know, cultivating my gardening, but also my inner garden is a, is a great source of nourishment for me. So you know, whether it's music or dancing or going to art museums or drawing or writing, we like to encourage people to move toward what is it that you really want and also to ask their partners what is it that you really want. And then the speed bumps can be handled along the way. You don't have to wait till you're perfect in order to have a happy life. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, you might wait forever. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Just as you're on your deathbed. Oh, now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I guess something that's coming up for me, a question about, you were talking about speed bumps and, you know, how do you help people help others get through some really tough times where they feel mm-hmm. like they're, they feel like they've fallen back down again. Um, they're going through a life change that um, there's too much in stress to really use those techniques that they've learned, or maybe they haven't learned them yet. Well, there, uh, we try to keep, well, we do keep our, our practices very simple so that they really are. Um, it's possible for people to just make one new choice at a time. And in sometimes people, we had, it was hilarious. Someone came up to us a few years ago and said, uh, you know, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to know how to have a great relationship. You know, like for you, it's easy. He was saying <laughs> for you, it's easy. You know, like we had fallen into this great relationship and, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, like we just walked into the store and ordered one up and he didn't realize that, that we created what we were teaching about. And what we found is that it really is one choice at a time. That's how you get to where you're going. And for me, the biggest choice, I was talking about committing, and committing is simply gathering yourself and taking yourself in a chosen direction. So whether it's something like, you know, I... I want to learn how to do public speaking so that I can take my ideas, you know, and, and have more people engage with them. So that would be the commitment. And so then probably one of the first things that's going to happen is you go to a class and you get feedback about what a terrible speaker you are, you know, or someone says, um, you know, you know, they give you some kind of feedback and rather than going, Oh, I'm a failure. I should just quit. You simply recommit. So for me, the, the two shifts that have made the most difference are, hmm, what can I learn from this? Truly, what, what can I learn from what just happened? And it's not always negative. Like something really exciting happened, and how did I, you know, how did I go about organizing that so this great outcome occurred? And then the other is when I've committed to something and then something happens. I feel overwhelmed or there's a big transition. There's something unexpected happened. You know, I also happen to live in the area of um, California where we just came through the Thomas fires, uh, the biggest fire in California history. And and my little town, Ojai, was literally in the middle of this huge raging fire. And so unexpected things are going to happen. And so for me, the most important skill is what I call recommitting. It's simply retracking. So when I'm teaching people committing, one of the things I have them do is simply choose a place across the floor and then move toward that. And then everybody in the room is doing that. So everybody's going crisscrossing everybody. And so when they get to the place, I say, well, did you have a clear route to going there? Or did you, you know, were there people or things that were in your way? And they say, well, of course there were things in my way. Well, I said, well, did you just stop or did you beat up the person or did you just sit down on the floor and say, I'm a failure? And nobody did that. And mm. so what what recommitting is, is 
looking at, okay, here's where I want to go and making the adjustment and then recommitting to what you want. And with really important things, you might recommit hundreds of times. And I think to me, that's all part of the journey. And uh, if I'm not enjoying the journey, I think being in your body and presencing and connecting with others and seeing life as an opportunity to engage and to create allows you to enjoy the journey. And so recommitting becomes, you know, just part of the uh, part of what you do rather than getting caught up in the all or nothing that uh, so many people feel victim to. Yeah, I'm imagining a really important process being like, all right, I'm right here and I'm going to move two steps to yes. directly. And because some, yeah, some of those need those very baby steps. Very baby steps. And then to celebrate. I mean, there's really, there's a lot of research now about celebrating the markers, celebrating the, you know, that I, I remembered to do my fear melters and breathe a couple of times today. Great. You know, so I'm building. It's really like, you know, building any kind of a muscle or learning a new language. It, um, you know, the practice, and I want people to have practices that are fun for them, that are not, you know, horrible and, uh, you know, painful. It's, I really don't think that no pain, no gain works. And that we really only learn something when we are having a good time. Right. Right. When we're not stressed and our right. higher functioning of the brain's turned off and it's hard to even right. process information in that place. Or even to let it in. Mm-hmm. How long are these different programs that you give? You know, how long do well, they Well, we've last? got, um, we have a whole series because we've, um, we have a quite a large body of work. We have 12 books together. Gay has 40 books. We've, uh, created, um, programs that are online programs, especially for people in relationships. So over the years we've created, and people can find those, um, from going to our website. We also have a lot of free stuff on our website videos and uh, different practices that, that people can do. But our, our seminars are either three days or five days. And uh, we have in the summer and the winter, we have a five day in, we just finished our five day uh, body intelligence training, which is basically about breathing, breathing skills and movement skills, and then how to combine those in to um, help people really um, solve problems, but also move toward what they want in their lives. And in the summer, we have our conscious loving uh, advanced five day where we really bring out all of our relationship material and how to assist people either, you know, as, as a professional or in your own relationship uh, to not only what's well, really to create a new ground for your relationship that's really not based on either or it's really based on your being able to be yourself to be able to generate uh, appreciation and so that appreciation is really the ground of your relationship and uh, also to be able to take healthy responsibility so our our work is based on you can find on our website and also um in some of our other work, we've created something called um, the Four Pillars of Integrity, 
which are how to create a new kind of a skeleton that is internal, that's based on living in alignment and harmony. So, for example, if I'm saying what's real, I'm actually sharing with you what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing. I'm in harmony with myself, and I'm going to be expressing myself in a way that matches, rather than if I'm trying to keep a secret from you, you know, I'm, I have something, but I'm withholding it, that actually throws you out of alignment where you can't let yourself connect freely with somebody else and actually create something that um, has a lasting value. So uh, we think that integrity can take the place of control and power struggles. Mm-hmm. So we have we have classes. I also have a two-year program that's the leadership and transformation program. But how people usually get started is with my program I call Evolutionary Playground, where people learn really how to presence, how to connect deeply with themselves and with others, and how to play. Because most of us have lost the ability to play. And, you know, we think that life is hard and very serious. And we found that it's possible to actually play through issues rather than working on them that working on them just makes more work. (laughs) Yeah, I I get that feedback a lot. I work in a psychiatric inpatient and outpatient hospital. And a lot of the feedback I get even after just one group is, I don't have fun like this anymore. I don't play anymore. I'm not, you know, I'm not spontaneous. It's, yeah, it's sad. Yeah, and it is such a source of, of, of genuine joy in the world to be able to, to be able to play. And it's something that I think we need lifelong as well as attention that people, um, the epidemic of disconnection that we're experiencing, I think is, is really about not being able to let, let people in and not being able to share yourself with somebody else. And, uh, I think as, as we get more communities where, authenticity is welcomed and people can be themselves that I I think there's nothing more beautiful than than the authentic sharing of somebody when they're just being themselves there's something that comes through that is really a work of art and it just also makes the best theater possible because people blurt out these just wonderful things you know they're like children who (laughs) who just say what's so before they learn you're not supposed to do that and uh, but we still have those children inside who really love to be seen and appreciated and have their bellies rubbed, just like my cats like to have their bellies rubbed to really be able to be open with others. And we're really seeing that happen now. And I'm finding it very encouraging uh, because there are so many issues that need to be addressed. But if they're addressed from our same framework of of blame and criticism and adrenaline and who's wrong and me versus you, we're just going to keep recreating the same kind of dysfunction. What do you suggest for people who are working, um, you know, at their workplaces where there's a legitimate fear of being open, whether there's, you know, a harsh boss or maybe you work with some people who are in relationships where one of the partners is not really open to change um, and that there is no room for openness and authenticity. Yes. Uh, Well, a couple of things. Uh, One, like for the workplace, I often recommend that people keep just a little journal in their desk 
And that when those kinds of, you know, I have something that's really eating at me or something I want to share with somebody that they just journal it. You know, you can scribble a lot in five minutes and then you have it. It's you have expressed it. And there's actually a lot of research about the value of expressing. And if you can't express to another person, my 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 best suggestion, if you can't you can't express to your partner to have a friend that you can express to what you are feeling. Um, but it's a, that's a whole big issue. If one person wants to change and the other person doesn't, one person is open and the other person isn't, it's not a very good prognosis because without the ability to find what is actually true, to, to share, your, especially your feelings, that's often a really important place to start. Uh, and I also suggest that people do fear melters because you can do little mini fear melters and also just expand your body. You can, you can do a little oozing that just looks like you're doing a little stretch and that gives your body, it sort of breaks up the log jam and keeps some energy in the, the flow of aliveness going in your own body. Yeah. I can but again, it's, you know, it's one choice at a time. Because mostly we just keep going in the direction, we keep closing up. And then, you know, at a certain point, it's pretty hard to unfold from that. And that's what people call getting old. They just <laughs> fold up. But I don't think that that's necessary, that you, um, you know, I've seen lots of folks and, you know, I'm, in, I'm about to become 70. And I, so I know it's possible not to fold up. Right. Yeah. Now you look alive and healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. I feel alive. That's great. Yeah. That's a good suggestion. I can even picture myself under a conference table, like trying to ooze with my hands if I'm getting frustrated. Yes, you can ooze with your hands. You can wiggle your toes. Mm -hmm. You can you can take a, a big breath. That's probably the most influential thing that you can do because not only are our feelings contagious, but we entrain to the breathing pattern that is the most prevalent one. And so if you're letting yourself shift into relaxed breathing, it does have influence on the people around you and you for sure. <laughs> yeah. you know, take care of yourself first. Yeah. I think there's a differentiation between that and this um, automatic sigh that people do I mean like oh no yeah I mean, yes if yes, I really yes, that's very different <laughs> to me that just that that's a nonverbal passive aggressive expression <laughs> yeah sometimes I'll just notice how many of those are happening you know around the meeting table yeah, <laughs> yeah it's different. well if I were the leader then you know I would take that as a clue that there are things that are needing to be expressed and people are not feeling comfortable to express them. So right. Well, do you want to be my leader at work? <laughs> <laughs> I think you can be your leader. Yeah, <laughs> I think I can too. All right. So one more question. So you work with a lot of helpers and healers. Uh, yes, but I also work with. Um, gosh, I work with people. Our work is used in in uh, business. Uh, it's being used um, by physicians in various places in the world. Uh, it's been used by whole groups of social change agents to um, really assist people in moving through fear so that they can actually do something different rather okay. than the same old, same old. So we have, uh, we have people from all kinds of fields. We have uh, teacher, yoga teachers in 
teachers and attorneys and scientists. And so it, uh, you know, it is not just for the helpers. Okay, great. What do you think there, if you could sum it up, what, what would be your biggest piece of advice that you feel like you are giving all the time? Uh, well, I, I go through the world doing what I call presenting, connecting, and then playing. So I presence uh, with myself. I get located, and then I see, is there a connection here uh, that wants to happen? And then there's almost always a little, there'll be a toss. You know, something, you know, whether it's just an expression the person does or something that they say, and then I pick up on, and then they pick up on, and then off we go. Uh, so it, looking at every relationship interaction as an opportunity to learn something and an opportunity to give something. So it's an opportunity to play, which is really the giving and the receiving of a toss, mm-hmm. just like you toss a baseball. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you look at it like I'm going to have another game of toss and, uh, it, you know, everybody loves toss, just <laughs> nice and easy and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a dance. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, so presencing, presencing, connecting, connecting and, playing. and playing. Okay. And that's what the whole template that I'm developing now is really about different ways to presence, different ways to connect, different ways to play both inside yourself and with others and setting up a, you know, I've seen, you know, we even have a, we have people who are financial advisors, and they're able to use this work. You can you can use a, a body intelligence orientation anywhere, because we don't just live from you know the neck up. Yeah, we should use and body you know, intelligence everywhere. Yes, imagine what the world would be. Yes, well, we're creating, we're imagining it, and we're creating it. Yeah, yeah, you, you two are making a huge difference. Yeah. yeah, I hope so. And and also, our, I'm, I'm very happy with what our students are doing because they're also available for, for example, they've been doing some coaching with uh, residents here and people who've gone through the fire. We had lots of people who lost homes and, you know, lost pets and, you know, and lost some people lost everything. And so having a... a, a way to test out what what is it like to have somebody presence with you listen deeply there are ways to uh, train your consciousness that my advanced students work with one of them is called loop of awareness and it allows people to feel very included I'm, I'm here I have value and then I can figure out what my next steps are and so we're uh, we're continuing to develop this program um, that we'll be putting uh, online. It's going to be an online program. So we're excited about it. And would you say that your techniques should be practiced every day? I, yeah, I practice them every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I'd say that we have lots of practices. And so, because not all of them are going to fit for everybody, but there are enough practices that you could have fun with them every day. And be building, just like you you know, would be building up to be able to do different kind of exercise with your body or gymnastics or you know, something that would take a little training. I would say underneath all of it that our intention is for both gay and me is to expand 
our capacity every day for giving and receiving more a love and appreciation. And we're, you know, committed to uh, assisting or inspiring others who want to to do the same. Because that's really what it's all about is can I actually enjoy giving and receiving more love and positive energy? Yeah, authentically and presently. Yeah. Yes. Versus all well, the, the, the clutter that... that can come around with all that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's nice. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. You're very, you're very welcome. Well, it was lovely talking to you and hearing all your insights. And I'm sure we've only heard like 10% of it, but it was super. <laughs> well, hopefully it's the cream. And, yeah, uh, so I was going to say it's juicy. We have, we have books. We have lots and lots of books. And you can find us on in at, uh, at our website. And also we have a Facebook page called Hearts in Harmony. Okay. And your website at, uh, is? Website is Hendrix.com. So Hendrix with an S, C-K-S. Okay, great. All right. Thanks well, thanks so much. very much. And yeah. thanks for what you're doing in the world too. Yeah, thank you. Bye. All right. <laughs> Bye-bye now. Thank you, Katie. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Happy one-year anniversary to Mind Your Body. And hey, feel free to send me a message and let me know how this podcast has impacted you over the last year or since whenever you started to listen. I would love to hear from you. All right. Bye. <laughs>